your service. Uh, and, and with that thanks, that feels like a good launch point to get right into the message that the Lord's put on my heart today. And, uh, and the message is simply this, let's say grace. Uh, let me thank another group of people. I was just told the update before I got up here. Uh, I want to say thank you to everyone that has uh, given to our Thanks for Giving campaign. You just heard about it in the announcements today of all the uh, Thanks for Giving initiatives. Today we're collecting turkeys. Uh, those turkeys are going to be put with food packages for families uh, that maybe otherwise wouldn't have a Thanksgiving meal to celebrate um, with their family, and so the food pantry is making those available. We've already received eight uh, birds this morning. Yeah, I know how much those cost this year, so like that's, that's a sacrificial gift. It, it, it costs a little more this year than last year, but thank you so much for everybody that's done that. Project Toy Box is happening back there. We're filling up new and gently used toys for kids and the coats and blankets that are being collected. Let me just say, uh, if you could benefit from those things, we're asking the church to rally together to give to those things, but there's information on our community board out there for how you can be a recipient of those. If you need those, by all means, uh, we want to just be a blessing in this holiday season, Amen. There's four times I want to tell you today that we ought to give thanks. The first one, maybe the most obvious, is uh, we ought to say grace when we're giving thanks. The second way we should say grace is when we're preaching the gospel. Thirdly, we should say grace when we're pronouncing a blessing. And fourthly, we're, when we're entrusting everything to God. Let me just start with the most obvious of those. We're all familiar with the phrase, let's say grace, right? I mean, even if you don't use the verbiage. When you're sitting at a dinner table and somebody says, let's say grace, we all know that's a social cue, like put the fork back down, sinner. And like, let's pray, right? <laughs> like, oh, oh yeah, let's say grace, kind of arrests our attention. It reminds us, you know, in that context, it just means let's give God thanks. In the uh, pre-Elizabethan era, when they would say, let's say grace, it was always plural. They would say, Let's say our graces. And I actually like that more because, you know, uh, we ought to be specific about the blessing of God. And God has blessed us in numerous ways, not, not just with the food on our plate. But how many of you know God's blessed us abundantly? And so I think it's a good habit to say our graces. The, the word of the Lord says this in Psalm 103. It reminds us to forget not all of his benefits. God has blessed our life, so don't forget the ways that he's benefited your life, the way that he's blessed your life. His graces are innumerable. They're immeasurable. That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, he said, here's what you ought to do. You ought to give thanks at all times, in every circumstance. Give thanks, because God is good, because he's blessed your life. You know, there's a lot of people that struggle with knowing the will of God. They're like, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And my counsel, nine times out of ten, my counsel is, are you doing the will of God that you do know? Because a lot of times we focus on like the 10% we're not sure about, and we get, we get overcome with, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But what we ought to do to discover the unknown will of God is walk in obedience to the known will of God. So if, if you're here today and you go, man, I'd love to know the will of God, let me give you some of the known will of God. Paul said it right here in 1 Thessalonians. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You ought to be a thankful people, amen? That would be a good time to say amen. It would be a good time to clap your hands and give God some praise because he has blessed our lives. He's demonstrated 
great grace towards us. James, the brother of Jesus, said it like this. He said, every good and perfect gift is from above. All of them. They all come from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. So can I just encourage you here? Maybe this isn't a a rhythm in your family or maybe in the busyness of life, you've gotten out of the habit of of saying grace. But can I just encourage you as we're moving back into the holiday season and, and big family meals and all that, make sure that stopping to give God thanks is a part of the spiritual discipline in your home. I mean, your gratitude ought to go, you know, beyond the dinner table, but it's a good place to start. And I think for a lot of us, you know, we have good intentions, but man, it's a miracle if you can get everybody to sit down at the table at one time. And in our busyness and in our hurry, sometimes we can forget the most practical spiritual disciplines of just stopping and saying, God, I just want to thank you. And how about this? How about we don't just stop with saying grace, but let's say graces, Take advantage of that moment with every head bowed and the forks down to be able to thank God for his goodness, not just for the meat and potatoes, but thank God for his faithfulness in your life. Not just when we sit at the table, but when we get up in the morning, when we lay down at night, let gratitude begin to be a part of the conversation in your home. We ought to say grace, but let me, let me talk about a, a couple other ways that, that we should say grace. Secondly, we ought to say grace when we're preaching the gospel. You know, it's interesting, both the Old and the New Testament end in similar fashion. The Old and New Testament end with a a proclamation of grace and a warning of judgment. Go with me to the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, chapter 4, right at the end, and you're going to see this message of grace, and this warning of judgment. Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. It it ends like this. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Now, Now, we know that the fulfillment of the prophet Elijah coming was John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. That's when he came on the scene. This is 400 years earlier when God is speaking through Malachi. And it says this about the prophet Elijah or John the Baptist. It says in verse 6, He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. In other words, when this messenger that I'm sending comes, he's going to be a messenger of grace, going to be a messenger of reconciliation. Like there's something, like the hearts of children and parents will be reunited together. And that's really just a symptom of the reality that God is uniting the hearts of his people with his own heart. And he says, so this is the grace word that's coming to you. But that's not the last word because after that it has two words that every child fears to hear from their parents. Or else. How many of you hated hearing those words growing up? We know what or else means, right? Or else means, I don't want to read the rest of the verse. We'll just stop right there. This makes a good refrigerator magnet verse. Let's just skip the or else. Let's just hold on to the good stuff. But he says, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. In other words, the message ending the Old Testament is you have to heed the word. My word is coming and it's a grace word, but you have to listen to it. If you don't listen to it, you get the or else. If you don't listen to it, and the last The last word in the Old Testament is total destruction. Like, and then mic drop, 
God doesn't speak for 400 years. You know, we sing the song at Christmas time, Silent Night. It was actually 400 years of silent nights. Like, God didn't say anything else. Like a teacher that just kind of puts a warning out there and then just lets it linger in the atmosphere. Why? Because he wants us to get ready for the message that's to come. He's saying you need to anticipate this messenger that's coming. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with this warning of total destruction. But here's the good news, church. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we have the revelation of Jesus. John did come, and he pointed the way to the Messiah. And I want you to know Jesus has the final word on humanity. Jesus is God's last word. So there's no other messenger that has to come after him. There's no other revelation that has to come. Jesus, the Bible says in Colossians, is the fullness of God in bodily form. So when you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. And so the message in the New Testament, yes, it's a warning of grace and judgment, but the message is primarily this, look to Jesus. Like, don't overcomplicate it. Just look to Jesus. I think sometimes we we way overcomplicate it. I was studying 2 Timothy this week, and I, I was just struck by the simplicity of some of Paul's advice to this young pastor who's dealing with all kinds of church issues and false doctrine and and. He, he's, he's trying to encourage Timothy to not be timid, to not let people look down on him, and you can do this. And, and then in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says this. He says, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Like, like, I love that. Like, I can just imagine, you know, Timothy's like hanging on every word. Like, well, just tell me what I need to know. What do I, what do I need to do to build this church? He says, remember Jesus. Like, don't overcomplicate it, Timothy. Why? As he said to the Ephesians, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. So Paul is saying, Timothy, just remember Jesus. This is our gospel. It's a gospel of grace. And so when you get to the end of the New Testament, go to the back of the book with me for a moment. Revelation chapter 22. On the last page, in the last paragraph, beginning in verse 18, God says again, a message, a warning of judgment. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So here again, God is saying, you you have to submit to the authority of this word. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. You have to recognize the authority of this gospel. But here's the difference that I want you to see between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Here's the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant in Christ, grace has the final word. Total destruction is not the final word. Grace has the final word. The last verse of the last book or the last chapter, says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. 
Amen. I want to tell somebody today that feels like you've messed up. I want to tell somebody today that feels like you've disappointed God, that maybe you've fallen again. Grace has the final word. And when we preach the gospel, church, that ought to be the tone of our message. The Bible says that his mercies are new every day. Great is thy faithfulness. The Bible says that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. The word of the Lord says that God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word of the Lord says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But grace, God's grace is available to us. God's grace is sufficient. And we need to be reminded, church, when we're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, that grace has the final word. And when we preach, we ought to say grace. Because in this gospel, grace is the final word. Romans 8.1 says, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Somebody needs to hear that today. Grace has the final word in your situation. What the enemy would love to do is to keep you shackled to your sins, shackled to your past, shackled to your mistakes, living beneath your God-given potential because of the things you've said, the things that you've done. Thank God we live in a new covenant where grace has the final word. And can I just encourage you today, as I'm thinking towards next weekend already, we have Pennsylvania Adult and Teen Challenge Choir coming. Next Sunday, we're going to have about 18 men up here on these choir risers that are all in the Pennsylvania Adult and Teen Challenge Recovery Program. If you know somebody, anybody, that needs to be reminded that grace has the final word in their life, get them here next Sunday. Can I just encourage you? Because you know what's going to happen? You're going to see these men sing and worship God, and then one by one, they're going to step out, and they're going to give testimonies about how they had ruined their life with drug addiction and alcohol addiction and, 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 and infidelity, and that they had, they had broken promises and broken laws, and, and they fell off the wagon, and they hit bottom, and they bounced twice, but then they found themselves in Teen Challenge, and God picked them up and restored their life. And you're going to hear testimony after testimony that says grace has the final word. And we ought to remember it's good news we're preaching, church. Thirdly, I want you to know today we ought to pronounce blessing. And when we pronounce blessing, it's a time and an opportunity for us to say words of grace. Do you know that, church, we're called to be heralds of the gospel? Runners with the good news, ambassadors of reconciliation. That's what the word says that we are. And your words, not just God's word, your words are powerful. The Bible says in Proverbs 18 21 that there is the power of life and death in the tongue. So we ought to speak grace words to those that are far from God, those that are outside of the church. It's so easy in our day and age to just, to, to just kind of buy into the accusational, condemning nature of our culture. But how many of you know as believers, we ought to be known more for what we're for than what we're against? We ought to speak a grace word. The Bible says in Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6, be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer 
everyone. Let your conversation be full of grace. How many of you were told when you were little, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all? That's good counsel. Proverbs says, even a fool seems wise when he doesn't open his mouth. The Bible makes it even more clear than that. Not just don't say anything at all, but Ephesians 4.29 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. He says, when you speak as the people of God, your words ought to benefit people. Can I just remind us that that criticism isn't a fruit of the Spirit? Fault finding is not a fruit of the Spirit. I know a lot of people in the church think it's their gift. Like God's just given me this ability to see what's wrong with everybody and to just call it out. That's not your gift. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I love that umbrella term, unwholesome talk, because we could really get into the weeds on that, and that could mean a lot of things. That could mean, that could mean cruelty. That could mean uh, crass words, lewd words, immoral words, four-letter words. It can mean all kinds of unwholesome talk. But then I want you to look at the verse right after this, because Paul connects the way that we communicate with the effectiveness of the Holy Spirit in our life. Right after he says this, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, isn't that interesting? That Paul would say, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Make sure that the words that you say are words that are building others up according to their needs so that it benefits them and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Paul says that because he understands the Holy Spirit wants to use your voice. He's given you the opportunity and the the privilege in your generation to to proclaim blessing and grace and peace. And he says, when when you let unwholesome talk rule the day and come out of your mouth, you're actually grieving the Spirit of God that wants to use your voice. Paul says in another place, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? I don't think it's coincidental that the first manifestation or or verification of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is people speaking with new tongues. It's just an indication of the fact that when you surrender your whole self to God, he wants to use your voice. Not just to pray in tongues, but to prophesy in English. He wants to use you to be his mouthpiece. And so Paul says when you use your mouth for unwholesome language, you actually grieve the Spirit of God who wants to use you in a better, in a greater way. James said it like this in James chapter one. He said, dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger, he says, does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That is so crystal clear. That needs no explanation, but I I don't know why it is that in our day and age, anger has become cool. Have you noticed that? Like anger has become cool. I mean, 
everybody likes a little outrage today. Outrage is what's trending. A hot take on an issue. You'll go viral. Just rant for a little while. You know, leave the grocery store, get in your car, go live, and just rant. You'll get all kinds of hearts and likes and affirmation, and everybody will pile on because we love outrage. We love a hot take. We love to lose our mind on an issue. And the Bible says be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. It's that simple. That's why Jesus said in Luke 6, bless those who curse you. Pray for those that mistreat you. We ought to speak grace to those that are outside the kingdom of God. We should be known more for what we're for than what we're against. But you know what? We should also speak grace to those inside the church. Let me just acknowledge that on this Veterans Day weekend in the kingdom of God, we have gotten really good at shooting our own soldiers in the back. We've bought into the the toxicity of cancel culture in the world, and we've just let that amalgamate into the culture of the kingdom of God. We're too quick to, to write off and discredit one another when the Bible says we ought to go above and beyond when it comes to the body of Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Especially. That that seems like preferential treatment to me, but that's what he says. Yes, you should do good to everybody, but especially to those that belong to the family of God. Why? Because those in the family of God realize that everything we have and everything we do is a work of God's grace. You are where you are today. I am where I am today by the grace of God. That's it. And if that's true, and we know that's true, then why not take a posture of pronouncing grace on people instead of condemnation? In Titus chapter 2, Paul outlines what the grace of God does. And it's exhaustive. It's it's more than just salvation. He says in in chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. But it's also a work of sanctification. Because he says in the next verse, it, grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. But it's not just a work of salvation or of sanctification. It's also the way we do the work of service in the kingdom. Your gifts, your abilities, your opportunities, they're a work of God's grace. He goes on to say, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So not only is grace saving us, it's sanctifying us. It's allowing us the opportunity to serve. Then he goes even farther and he says, it's going to be by grace that one of these days God calls us home and we're snatched out of this place. In verse 13, he says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's saving, it's sanctifying, it's serving and it's snatching. It's amazing grace. And it's not just the testimony of the church, it's also our declaration. Let's say grace. I I love the story in Zechariah chapter four. In Zechariah chapter four, Zerubbabel is rebuilding the temple of God that was destroyed in in the uh, exile. And, 
and he's rebuilding the temple and the prophet Zechariah is watching this and, and he's doubtful. I mean, there's, there, there's just a, a mountain of work to be done and Zerubbabel has only laid the foundation at this point. And so an angel of the Lord appears to the prophet Zechariah and he begins to speak to him about this work that Zerubbabel is doing. And the angel gives him a message. I want you to see in verse six and seven of Zechariah four. He said, so the angel said to me, this is what the Lord This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Now, That's good in this translation, but I want to read that verse to you in a different translation because this is what was in my heart this week as I was reading this. The Lord says, what are you, O great mountain? Because of Zerubbabel, you will become a level plain, and he will bring forth the temple capstone with shoutings of grace, grace, because of this. Notice this, the Lord is saying that this looks like an impossibility. This looks like a mountain of opposition, but I'm gonna make the mountains plain. I'm gonna get this work done. And when this work is done by the hand of Zerubbabel, he didn't say I'm gonna declare. He didn't say God's gonna declare. He said when the capstone is in place, when the job is finished, it's gonna be done to the testimony of the people shouting grace, grace. And if we know that with God all things are possible, and if we know that all we have done is because of the grace of God in us, then why not look at the impossible mountains that are in front of us today and go ahead and prophesy in faith, grace, grace. It's gonna happen because of God's grace. While man looks at it and says, I don't know if it can happen, the word of the Lord says to Zerubbabel, do not despise the day of small beginnings. This job will get done. This mountain will be moved in your life. And it'll happen to the testimony of God's people declaring grace upon grace. In Numbers chapter six, Moses gives Aaron, the high priest, words to speak grace to God's people. In fact, the Lord gave it to Moses. I want you to see this blessing. Many of you are familiar with it. You've heard it before, but in the context, I want you to understand what's happening here. This is a special blessing that God wants the high priest to speak over the Israelites. And it says in number six, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. That's the blessing, but look at the next verse. Then God says to Moses, so they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. Notice the connection. They will put my name on the Israelites and God says, I will. Will bless them. Now, the reason I love that verse is because, because Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 9, that we are a royal priesthood. 
The, the, the children of God, the sons of God, we don't have to have a, a Levite or even a Jew go before God and pronounce blessing. He says, we as the people of God in the new covenant, we are the redeemed of the Lord. We're the royal priesthood. And so go back with me. And it says, wait, what happens when they put my name on them? I will bless them. That means we have an incredible opportunity, church, to stand in proxy and declare the blessing of God over our family. And they will be blessed. We have the opportunity to speak blessing over the church, and it will be blessed. We can speak blessing over this nation, and God said, and I will bless them. Let's say grace, church. Let's say grace when we're giving thanks. Let's say grace when we're preaching, proclaiming the gospel, whether it's from a pulpit or from a cubicle. And let's say grace when we're pronouncing God's blessing to our family, to our generation, the fourth way that I want you to know God's called us to pronounce and say grace is in the moments that we're entrusting everything to God. Did you know Paul the Apostle, he wrote 13 letters in the New Testament, and every one of those letters begins and ends with grace. That's, that's 26 blessings of grace. He begins and ends every letter with it. I'll give you just one example, and it's the last letter he ever wrote that we have recorded. 2 Timothy chapter 1, he begins like this. He says, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. In some of his letters, he adds mercy, in some he adds peace, in some he adds love. But the common denominator is all of them are a blessing of grace. And then you get to the end of this letter. These are the last recorded words we have of the Apostle Paul. He says in chapter 4 and verse 22, the Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. I was thinking about the significance of that statement right there as, as I was reading through all of 2 Timothy. You know, there's a lot of issues going on in that church. I mean, Paul had kind of given everything he had. I mean, he poured his life out for this church. And this is kind of a moment of Paul acknowledging that. Paul saying, I've done my part. Now I'm entrusting you to the grace of God. Grace be with you all. I'm not gonna write any more letters. I mean, Paul spent three years in Ephesus trying to get this church started. More time there than he had spent anywhere else. He sent his most faithful ministry partner, Timothy, there to pastor that church. So this is Paul saying, I've given you my best. I mean, I sent Timothy. In fact, he's writing Timothy to say, I need your help, man. I'm about to die here. I can tell my, my life's waning away. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. Come and when you come, bring my coat. I'm freezing cold. I need my friend. And so he's writing to the Ephesians. He's saying, I, I've, I've done everything I can do. And in the end, I'm entrusting you to God. I'm entrusting you to the hand of God to do what I can't do. He says, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking grace, be with you all. In fact, that's what he told them he was gonna do. The last time Paul was with the Ephesian elders, it was in Acts chapter 20. And he was saying goodbye to them before he left for the final time. He even told them, he said, you're never gonna see me again. And in that conversation in Acts 20, verse 32, Paul said, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. 
Like, what else, what else can I do? But I commit you to grace. Maybe you're in a situation like that today with a loved one, with, with a situation, maybe a, a, a relationship you've tried to reconcile, and it just feels irreconcilable. What do I do? I commit you to the grace of God. Maybe it's that family member that is probably going to turn down the invitation again to come to dinner for Thanksgiving, but what do I do with that? I commit you to the grace of God. In Revelation, what's awesome is we actually get an update on the church of Ephesus 30 years later. Like Timothy was sent there to try to combat the false doctrine that was being taught, to, to stand and, and come against false teaching. And so Paul's encouraging him. and He's going, Timothy, you know, I poured my heart into this church, and now they're following these false teachers. I need you to go. I need you to preach. I need you to preach the word and stand strong in truth, and don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. Be an example. And he's encouraging Timothy to stir up the gift of God that was in him at the laying on of hands. And Why? Because I don't want this church to die. I don't want it to fizzle out. And then we get 30 years later, in the book of Revelation, Jesus has a letter for the church at Ephesus. And what's awesome about that letter is he's actually commending them for getting rid of those that teach false doctrine. He's, he commends them for standing strong in the truth. He commends that church for being healthy in doctrine and for working hard. In other words, Paul's blessing at the end of his letter, I, I, I just commit you to the grace of God, becomes Timothy's reality. As Paul spoke that word, I just want to challenge us today that speaking blessing over other people is not only a prophetic privilege that we have, but it's also a, a recognition of our total dependence on God. It's a way of entrusting them back to God. It's fascinating that when Paul, when Paul starts all of his letters, he says, essentially, grace to you, grace to you. But when he ends all of his letters, he says, grace be with you. It's just a subtle difference. Grace to you at the beginning of the letter, grace be with you at the end of the letter. John Piper wrote a book called Future Grace, and, uh, and, and he takes a crack at explaining that difference. I thought this was good. He said, I think it means that at the beginning of his letter, he realizes that they are about to hear his word, the apostolic word, the authoritative word of God. So he says, in and through this hearing of the word of God, grace is coming to you. So grace to you because the word of God is coming to you. Then he says, on the other hand, as Paul comes to the end of his letters, he realizes that the listening church will soon not be reading anymore. They'll be going out into a very hostile world. The parchment will be rolled up and treasured in someone's safe at home until the next reading. Is there more grace besides what comes to us as we hear the word of God? Well, 13 times in 13 letters, Paul says, yes. Grace be with you. Because grace does not stay locked up in the scroll, in the safe. Grace goes with us because Christ goes with us. And maybe you're in a situation today where you're, you just need to entrust some things to the Lord. You're frustrated. Maybe you'd like to cuss about it, but keep the unwholesome talk out of your mouth and instead say, God, I, I'm entrusting this to you. Like, I, I can't, there's nothing else I can do. I mean, I prayed about it. I did my part. I, I tried to reconcile. I tried to restore. I've, tr I've tried to be a, I've tried to fill in the gap. I've tried to build a bridge. I don't know what else I can do. And you got to get to the place like Paul where you say, grace be with you. 
grace be with you. As we get ready to end this service today, I just want to, I want to take a few moments here to express our gratitude to God. I want to invite you, if you'd stand with me, I want to ask some of our altar team if, if you would come and just stand here in the front of the room. God's been doing so many, so many good things in and through moments of prayer in our church. I, I've just been reminded so many times, so many times lately of the, the, the power of agreement. Maybe you're here today and you just need somebody to agree with you in prayer. If that's you, then, then as we kind of bring this service to a conclusion, I'll, I want to just make an invitation. These altars are open and, and, and these prayer partners are up here because we just, we just want to connect with your moment of faith. We just want to connect with you and believe. And, and let me just give a couple of directions here before we pray. Number one, maybe, maybe the takeaway is so practical. But I just want to underscore what maybe the Holy Spirit is saying to some of us. You need to begin to say grace. Your house, like God's house, needs to become a house of prayer. And I don't say that out of condemnation. I'm just saying it because I feel like the Lord wants me to impress this upon your heart today. Some of you, you need to just shift the culture in your home. Say, no, guys, we're going to pray. Even, even if everybody's busy and, you know, somebody's already halfway through their plate. So what? God bless the, that which is within and that which is without. You know, just make your house a place of grace, a place where we say grace, but not just grace. Let's say graces. Let's go beyond just God, you know, thank you for the bread. Thank you for the meat. God's neat. Let's eat. You know, let's, let's count our many blessings. Begin to name them. Pray in the morning. Pray in the evening. Pray when you're dropping your kids off or when they're going out the door. Be a people that say grace. Maybe you're here today and, and you're at a place where you need to receive the gospel of grace. Maybe you're here today and you just need to be reminded that grace has the final word. Hear this. Romans 8.1. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Grab that word today. If the enemy has been working overtime to discourage you, if you've been living under, under a, a, an oppressive cloud of inferiority, of failure, of you, you struggle to even accept yourself, love yourself, embrace who God made you to be because the lies of the enemy have told you you're never enough. Listen, grace has the final word. If that's you today, you just need to grab that by faith. Say, God, I receive redemption. I receive mercy. I receive grace. It's not about how, how good I've done or what my childhood was like or how faithful I am to church or how much I read the Bible. God, I'm saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So receive grace today. Father, right now, we just thank you for your presence in this place. I want to invite you all over this room. If you, if you want to just take a moment right now and seek the Lord, 
If you need God's grace in your life, you can come to this altar. One of these prayer partners will pray with you. God, we thank you that in this moment right now, the the grace of God is being lavished upon us. And God, I thank you that you've given us a prophetic voice in our generation. You've given us the opportunity to look into impossible situations, immovable mountains, and we as your people will declare grace, grace. We testify as sure as the capstone was put on the temple. God, we're going to look at the immovable opposition in our life and we're going to see God do a greater work. So right now by faith, Lord, we declare grace over our situations. We declare grace over our families. Lord, over, over disease, over sickness, over those immovable mountains in our path, we declare grace, grace. Do it, Lord, for your glory and for your honor. Do it, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, I want to ask you to do something with me here today.